we face social and economic peril as well as environmental peril. The only way we're going to deal with that is to find ways to moderate our power. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, where we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking each one of them our core question, with all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly go right? And our guest today is the wonderful and dear old friend, Richard Heinberg. He is the author of 13 books, the first of which, Parties Over, Oil, War, and the Fate of Industrial Societies, was my inspiration in 2004 when I read it to turn my attention toward relocalization as a strategy for um, claiming a better future. Um, and eventually I joined him on the board of the Post Carbon Institute where he is a senior fellow in residence and is regarded as one of the world's foremost advocates for the shift away from our current reliance on fossil fuels. He has authored scores of essays and articles that have appeared in multiple journals and on many websites and has delivered hundreds of lectures on energy and climate issues to audiences in 14 countries, addressing policymakers at many levels from local and city council members to the European Parliament. He has been quoted and interviewed countless times and he's appeared in many films and television documentaries. He remains through all of this, a truth teller, a sweet, humble, and honest man, and delivers his message of our trajectory towards civilizational collapse in a good spirit and directly. He's a treasure for all of us who want to see more clearly and act more courageously and serve the common good. So here's my interview with Richard. So welcome, Richard, to What Could Possibly Go Right? In 2020, I brought that question to cultural scouts to help us see through the confusion of the rolling crises into what, what little green shoots might be sprouting that we could cooperate with. So here we are in 2021, and I feel like you know we're, we're just emerging from the category five storm of a year and entering a time of like naming and claiming the new normal. Um, it's, it's sort of an opening again, even though the pandemic still rages. And of course, we're, you know, we're now facing into the very bigger headwinds of the, of the climate disruptions. But it's, it's, it's an opening, uh, again, to choose a different future. And so I'm asking my guests to tell us what possibilities are already present that we might now energize. And your book names and claims a bold possibility in the realm not of like whiz bang tech or a new green deal, but um, <laughs> but something catching hold in collective self awareness. In a way, it feels like like the '60s have grown up. Fifty years of seeing the problems and developing prototypes, and then a year of revelations that we really can't can't keep going the way we're going. And so here we are. And over to you, Richard. What <laughs> could possibly go right? Well, it's, it's great to be speaking with you, Vicki, first of all. And thank you for, for inviting me and thank you for doing this, this wonderful podcast series. Um, well, everything I say is gonna be based on my 
new book, which will look something like this. This isn't the actual book, but <laughs> Yay. Um, it's kind of what the book will look like. Um, Power, Limits, and Prospects for Human Survival is the title, and, and it'll actually be out in September. Um, mm. And it's kind of the capstone on my career as an author. It's a, it's a big book. It's like 400 pages. Uh, I've been working on it for years. And um, it's kind of the whole enchilada. And, <laughs> and people warned me not to write a book like this. That, uh, you know, this, this kind of big picture book, there's no market for it anymore. And, and you should write something on a very uh, specific problem and what are the specific solutions to that specific problem. And that's kind of not where I, I am right now. And I said, the heck with it, you know, full speed ahead, damn the torpedoes. <laughs> and here we are. So the, the, the book uh, is, is about power, uh, which is a very familiar word. We all use the word all the time. And very few of us, I think, really stop to think what it, what it actually means. You know, what, how do you even define power? Um, uh, physicists define power very simply and clearly as the rate of energy transfer. So because that's, that's a clear definition and it's measurable, I started with that and looked at how power evolved, starting with the very first cells 4 billion years ago uh, and their processes of, of energy transfer and through the evolution of life, you know, um, another definition of power is the ability to do something. So what do we do with energy? We do stuff. <laughs> energy is what, what enables us to do stuff. And so the ability to move, to digest, to reproduce, to deceive, to communicate, to organize socially, all of these things were, all of these abilities were developed by uh, organisms long before humans came along. And actually my, my compulsion in writing the book was to, to answer three very specific questions. One, how has our species, just one out of millions, come to dominate the whole biosphere? Second, how and why have we come to oppress one another in so many ways and to such degrees that are, you know, have very few parallels in the rest of, of nature? And the third question, of course, is can we change our relationship with power somehow to uh, of, avoid what could otherwise be a, a you know, pretty bleak future. And um, of course, the, the, looking at the evolution of power, it's, it's very clear that there were specific turning points where everything changed. And, you know, the origin of life, human beings, and the acquisition of language and tool making and so on. Then grain agriculture and the origin of the, of the first states, which had full-time division of labor and slavery and uh, extreme division of labor between women and men and, and all of that, all that that entailed and so on. And then most recently, the advent of fossil fuels. And from, again, from a measurable standpoint, in terms of the amount of energy used per person, the number of people on the planet, 
just about anything that you can measure. This last one that's just happened in the last couple of hundred years, the, the adoption of fossil fuels has been more consequential than anything that's happened up to this time. I mean, you could probably go back in biological evolution to the origin of cyanobacteria or something like that and, you know, make a case. But certainly since the, the origin of, of human beings, there hasn't been anything that has uh, affected our species and our environment as much as the adoption of fossil fuels. So we are familiar with the benefits of fossil fuels. They enable us to travel cheaply and communicate over long distances quickly and, and all this stuff that, that, that we, we enjoy now. But the, the costs are enormous and it's not just climate change, uh, resource depletion, overpopulation, crowding out other species, um, uh, environmental pollution of, of various kinds, much of the worst of which is from microplastics, which are made from fossil fuels and, and other, other kinds of chemicals produced by fossil fuels when we burn them or, or extract them. So uh, the, it's, it's hard to overstate the level of peril that faces us this century as a result of the, the accumulated consequences, accumulating consequences of our, our reliance on, on fossil fuels. So your question, what could possibly go right? Well, you know, it's going to have to come, and this is really the core message of the book, it's going to have to come from a change in our relationship with power. You know, fossil fuels have given us more power than anything before. And some of us have enjoyed a lot more power than the rest of us. You know, the, the, the scale of inequality among human beings, economic inequality has grown dramatically, especially in the last few decades, because we're producing so much wealth and that wealth is ultimately coming from nature, but then it gets processed through the, the human social pyramid and ends up mostly with the, the folks at the top of that pyramid. So, so we face social and economic peril as well as environmental peril. And the only way we're gonna deal with that is to find ways to moderate our power. And there are a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, no, no, we can't do that. It's impossible. Because, you know, we human beings are power hogs and we, and we enjoy all this power and we do such great things with it. And that's what makes us human. So we just have to find ways of using our power uh, more responsibly while we keep getting more and more of it. You know, we'll, we'll build solar panels and wind turbines, but economic growth will proceed. We'll still continue to grow our population and everything. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not a solution. We have to change our relationship with power itself. And, uh, and part of the book is, is a description of how that actually happens in nature. It's not, it's not something we can't do. Human beings have done it from time immemorial. Uh, uh, native cultures, indigenous cultures had ways of conserving resources and sharing resources and preventing some people from getting a lot more powerful than others. Um, and a, a lot of those, those uh, self limits on power fell away over the course of history as we developed grain agriculture and so on. And especially once we got to fossil fuels, because, because with fossil fuels, it's like, 
limits, what limits, you know, um, limits to soil productivity. Well, just throw some energy at it, you know, uh, limits to uh, some natural resource. Well, just throw more energy at it and we'll dig deeper and find lower grade ores and just spend more energy in processing them and transporting them. You know, we can, we can solve all human problems because we have so much cheap energy. Well, guess what? If, if energy isn't cheap and abundant in the future, and I, I, I think it won't be, that's not going to work anymore. So again, we have to change our relationship with power. We have to relearn the lessons of power self-limit, self, self-limitation that indigenous cultures and other species and ecosystems have spent thousands of years and in some cases millions or billions of years in developing. And if we do so, this is the, well, I'm getting now to the the very end of the book, if we do that, we could find other things to do with our outsized human abilities of language and tool use that would actually make us a lot more happy and give us much more interesting lives. Because power isn't just about agglomerating, you know, more resources and lording it over uh, everybody else. Uh, Nature uses power in so many instances to create beauty. You know, nature is intentionally beautiful. You go outside and you look at the flowers and beautifully colored birds and listen to them singing. Well, they're trying to be as beautiful as they possibly can because that's their strategy for reproduction and survival. And we human beings have that bug too. You know, we are amazing uh, aesthetic creatures. Almost everything around us is is designed and, and made to be as pleasurable as possible and so on. We're really good at that. Well, guess what? We could get even better. <laughs> and if, especially if we didn't indulge in aesthetic decadence, which I, is, is my term for artistic creation that's specifically for commercial purposes. Boy, There's more I, about I, that I, in the book too. Yeah, anyway. I wonder about so many things of what you're saying. Okay, so I'm just going to like, like, like popcorn some topics that sort of are floating around what you said. Okay, Great. so number one, um, even before we found fossil fuel, we found money, right? We found a debt based money system that we could go into debt to enable ourselves to exploit more. And mm-hmm. then the productivity of what we've exploited, we would pay off the debt. So we have a fossil fuel system. But we also have this money system, and maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's the, money is a sort of source of power that we discovered that was like in completely intoxicating the debt as an intoxication. Like, I don't have to have the money, I'll just go do it. You know, the future will take care of it. So <laughs> it's, it's, there's a piece of that. Then there's another piece of um, religion, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, um, I, I had the privilege like over 20 years ago of being in a delegation that was with the Dalai Lama and um, mm. for four days. And I, uh, the last day I asked him a bold question, um, was saying, you know, we wonder about why the Germans didn't do something. They saw the trains going by and they, they probably knew at some level that they didn't do anything. Yeah. So I said, what are the trains that are going by now? Mm. You know, that, that, and he, 
And I thought it was going to be something about climate. You know, I thought it was going to be something else. He said, it's the loss of spirituality. And so in a way, the word religion holds like, whether it's the golden rule or the social cohesion or our obligations to one another, it, it's some, something about, so there's an element here, it's an element of beauty you're talking about, but there's an, also an element of, 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 of human bonding. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. It's like consumerism has broken all the bonds, you know, it's like, it's like, we're just monads. And, and of course the pandemic has potentiated separation. Here we are on Zoom. So, so, I mean, there's so many, the brilliance of what you've done is you've created a central column that mm -hmm. allows us to ask ancillary questions. So, and then the third thing, the, the first one was about money. The second one was right. about love um, and religion. And um, then the third thing is more about, you know, leverage points. Where do you see right now, like if we were to like be able to like jump on something that would spring this vision that you have into the public sphere, where are the leverage points right now that people could act on? Could, could energize, could cooperate with. So three. Right. Oh, there's so much I could say about the, the, the three questions you just asked. <laughs> Money, first of all, I'm gonna make this as, as brief as possible. Uh, economists tell us that money is a neutral medium of exchange. And that's crap. <laughs> money is storable, transferable social power. We all know that intuitively. It's, it's a fact of our lives. So we have to start treating it that way. And that, that means we, if, if we're going to limit power for our, the survival of society and nature, that means there, we have to start thinking about limits on money and debt and the use of money and debt and demonetizing society in, in various concrete ways. Uh, enough about that now there's 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 a lot on that so huge you, amount you know, yeah, that, yeah. yeah uh then religion yeah religion has has served very very different purposes in in human societies over the over the millennia um as with the origin of empires roughly 3000 years ago religion became a moralizing force in human society it hadn't been hadn't served that purpose before it wasn't in in shamanic cultures you know hunter gatherer cultures it wasn't about morality it was about you know reconnecting with the spirit world and the left and right hemispheres of the brain and contacting the powers of nature and all that stuff morals nothing uh, but with the advent of, of uh, empires, suddenly, you know, if you could implant a moral watcher in everybody's head, then that created the kind of cooperation that you needed with these huge far-flung societies with people speaking different languages and coming from different cultural backgrounds and so on. And that promoted trade because if you knew if the, per the person you're trading with worships the same moralizing big God. And, and you can be sure of that because they, they have to do costly personal public professions of faith by going to church and tithing and, and doing all these things. Then you know you can trust them in a business deal. 
wow, it's, it, you know, so it was, it, 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 it's religion suddenly served a new function. I think it's going to have to mutate again in our time so that it reconnects us with community and nature in a way that it's currently failing to do. Uh, I don't want to get away, give away uh, religion altogether because it's, it's part of who we are. Spirituality is part of who we are. And in fact, I think it could play an enormous role in future human cultures in, again, giving us things to do that actually enhance life rather than dividing it up and, and turning it into, you know, tokens of, of power. What was the third question? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'll, I'll tell you the third question in a second, but I think that for me, you know, religion as an institution is an institution of control and empires, yes. right. but there is also a, a, a religious sentiment. There is also that, and I think it is, it's, it's whatever you call it, interiority, whether you call mm -hmm. it, um, affection or bonding, there is something in humans that is awakened in, you know, smaller scale societies where we have a, a debt of love to one another, maybe the family. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I just think that there's a lot more to it than systems of control. And it's a, it's a, that interior dimension that people are accessing through meditation, that may be an ally for us. So I just yeah, wanted to put that yeah. in, but I also want to, the third question is, um, allyship really what can we ally oh, ourselves right, 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 with right. right now where are the promising leaders that people may or may not recognize where we could go like okay fine here we are we're 2021 what could possibly go right show me where to i can step in your framework well um first of all applying this understanding and wisdom about self-limitation of power, applying that in our own lives and, use, and doing so in a way that enhances our experience of life. But second, in a, more in a political sense, I think it's really important right now that all of us who understand that power has gotten out of bounds, whether it's the social power of great wealth or the the power of nuclear weapons to destroy the world or the power of fossil fuel companies or the power of humanity to overwhelm other species. You know, we each have different concerns and different levels of concern about the way we see the world going wrong and coming apart. This needs to be an anti-collapse coalition. <laughs> All, all of these folks need to be appreciating one another's perspectives and working together. Otherwise, I don't think there's much chance. Mm. You know, if each of these interest groups is just pursuing its own, well, this is what's really important. No, no, you got it all wrong. It's not about Black Lives Matter. It's really about saving the whales or vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm afraid uh, we're not going to accomplish much. Yeah, we're going to have to walk and chew gum and play <laughs> ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> or violin. Um, you know, another thing that occurs to me is um, people sometimes put this in the framework of like um, patriarchy, you know, mm -hmm. that yeah. a post patriarchal society. Now, it may not like just like, you know, that's the right little tom tom, 
But the vision beyond that is partnership, you know, that we, we create a partnership society and there's roadmaps for partnership. Um, yeah, there's roadmaps like intersectionality, that big word, intersectionality, which is I've never bonded with. But, you know, it says like, look, we're, you know, all of these different issues, we're all sort of like dealing with this one big thing, which Richard has now, you know, labeled how power functions in th running through, you know, the living systems of the planet. Um, regeneration is another word. I mean, there's like, what are what you're saying is that we need to start to recognize that, you know, um, post patriarchal partnership societies is, uh, you know, like solidarity, uh, regeneration that that somehow or another we need to start creating a language mm. that that we need to be able to almost like speak into being this possibility. Of, a, of another purpose for humans. Is that, am I hearing you right? Yeah, absolutely. And it all, it, it all fundamentally comes down to um, power and how we understand power. For the last 5,000 years, we've, we've been living under systems of vertical power, which is where mm -hmm. a few people get to tell other people what to do by way of threats and bribes. Exactly. And that bribe can be a paycheck, it can be the threat, can be laws, it can be, you know, on and on. It's the whole, our whole social fabric is woven uh, of various forms of vertical social power. It wasn't always this way. Um, Pre-agricultural societies are generally characterized more by horizontal power. That's where it's basic, basic message is we can, we can all do this together. And there are some forms of authority, but they're situational authority based on demonstrated skill in a particular area. You know, if somebody knows a lot about herbalism, then if somebody else is sick, you're, you're going to go to that, the person who knows about herbalism to ask their, you're not going to, you know, just try to come up with something yourself because, well, hey, I should know as much as them because I'm, you know, no, it's just common sense. And that's, that's basically how society operated was through this kind of common sense trust and partnership that you were just talking about. And we got to get back to that. But the only way we're going to is to address the forms of power that are currently out of whack in society. And, uh, and so we got to whack them back in. <laughs> we got to whack them back. We got to use power to, to, you know, it's a... It's a, it's a ginormous project, yeah, this sort yeah. of turning of the wheel. It's a ginormous yeah. project. One of the, one of the uh, chapter subtitles in the book is fighting power with power. So it's how do we use power responsibly in order to overcome some of these unhealthy systems of power that have gotten out of control? And actually, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about hope, one of the hopeful things is that there's so many bottom-up initiatives, whether you call them grassroots or, 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 or social businesses or, you know, I mean, there's so much bubbling up from the grassroots of, of people, of ways to uh, address power, whether it's, you know, whether it's the Sunrise Movement or the Movement Voter Project or, you know, like the, or, you know, Black Lives Matter, there's so much organizing 
in the face of the of recognizing the danger of the dominator, there's so much organizing going on bottom up. Right. Um, and per, perhaps that's a pool of power that that somebody listening to this can go like, I can step into any one of these grassroots movements. And as part of my participation in the, the large pool of exercising of citizen power. Right. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to let the picture, you know, like I'm yeah. trying to let the picture. And as you do out. that, as you do that, keep your mind open to how that, that route to power sharing or power li- self-limiting can be related to what other people are doing too. Cause that, you know, totally. joining yeah. of hands, that's, that's going to be. Not competition, really not competition yeah. for scarce resources, for scarce power called money from, um, but so the one, one final question, and I know everything, every question is a final one. Um, <laughs> so you and I have talked a lot over the years about relocalization and that the, is there a scale at which you think societies can can remain, you know, responsible to one another and to limits. And beyond that scale, is scale something that you investigate? Yeah, and partly that's an open question. I mean, right now, it appears that so many of our questions can only be, of our problems, so many of our problems can only be solved at the global level by, you know, governments working together climate change, elimination of pollution, all these, all these things, war crimes. But um, as you say, you know, a, a global super organism, which is what humanity has become, may not be able to persist uh, as we self-limit power and as the amount of energy that's available to us declines and diminishes over the next few decades. So I'm a little bit on the fence, you know, a part of, part of me, uh, maybe a little more idealistic, would love to see this superorganism, which currently is like a bacteria. It just wants to grow. It just wants more, 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 more. Maybe that superorganism could mature through an, a, a collective awareness of, right. of limits, maybe, or maybe it's that this superorganism turns out to be just a, a very temporary social phenomenon and we evolve past it. I don't right. have a hard and yeah. fast answer to that. It's an epiphenomenon of the level of power that we've been able to accumulate to our species. Right. It's, it's sort of like a, a golem or something. And, um, and so as that superorganism is de-energized, you know, as less power flows through because there's less resource to like keep fueling the fire, then then there will be this retribalization, or there will be these smaller scale mm-hmm. human settlements, and who knows? So, it basically, it's an exciting time to be alive, right? <laughs> sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, the stakes are high. You know, we we get to reinvent everything. We do, at, you know, at every because we have to because we have to at every level of scale you know, mm-hmm. from breakfast to, you know, the United Nations. So uh, no, it's not like no rest for the weary. It's a different thing. No lack of fun things to do for somebody <laughs> who wants to contribute. 
That's right. Yeah. So thank you so much for um, for this heavy, 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 heavy lift that you've done for all of us, providing a framework of understanding that we can all see ourselves in and through and help us to understand our dilemma and uh, if not our solutions, at least our directions. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Vicki. Thanks for all you do. And it, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Likewise, Richard. Okay. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>